uh, to experience the power of the gospel. We're in Mark 9 this morning. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to that passage, Mark 9. We're continuing to look at the gospel of Mark, and this morning we've reached chapter 9. And I'm going to begin by reading the passage. It begins at 914. Uh, Last week we were in the Mount of Transfiguration. We're we're focusing our attention on Mark's portrait of the Master. Mark 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, now the they here is Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and Peter, James, and John, they had been up on the mountain with him, and they now come down. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with him about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, and this word could be translated, cried out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. This passage is famous for those words and they, these words make me think about faith and make me think about my own faith and our faith. We sometimes feel the same. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What is faith anyway? Once in a Sunday school class, that question was asked, and a little boy raised his hand, and he said, well, faith is believing something you know isn't true. 
Well, of course, that's not right. But what is faith? I mean, faith is essential to the Christian experience. Faith defines us. We call ourselves believers. We believe. So what is that? What is faith? How can we think about it and describe it? Well, certainly the Christian life begins in faith. We hear the good news, just as Phil shared. He heard the good news shared in a radio broadcast. He, you hear the good news, the call to trust in Christ, who died for your sin, who was raised again, who's the Lord of all. You hear that call, you turn to God, and you place your trust in Jesus. That's how, that's how the Christian life begins for all of us. We come to that point of trust in Christ. Some people know when it happened. Other, for others, you know, there is not a definite, clear moment you can point to. But all of us trust in Christ. That's how the Christian life begins, and that's how it continues. We might define faith as whole soul reliance on Christ to save us. That is, we don't rely partly on Christ and partly on ourselves or partly on our works or our deeds or anything else. We, we re- rely with our whole soul on Christ to be our Savior. One of the ways to describe faith is to, let me give a sort of a theological analysis of faith. Faith involves various components. Faith involves, first of all, the element of knowledge. That is, um, we have to know certain things. You can't believe if you've never heard of Jesus. You've never heard of, it, of his death for us. His pay, he paid the penalty for us. He was buried. He was raised again. He's the Lord of all. So faith involves knowledge. Now, knowledge is not unimportant. Knowledge is essential. We send missionaries to the end of the world so that they may proclaim this message. Faith involves knowledge, but that's not all it is. Faith involves, secondly, also a second component, is assent. That is, we assent, we agree that these claims, these truths about Jesus are in fact true. We assent to their truth. Knowledge and assent, however, are still not fully faith. The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. And this describes the devils. When, they, when that word believe is used of the demons, that's in James 2, this is the description. They know the facts of the gospel and they certainly know it's true. But obviously the demons are not saved. The third element of what faith is, is commitment. That is, one personally entrusts oneself to Jesus. One commits oneself to Christ. Um, this element also involves surrender to him. We, we surrender our will. We, we bend the knee. Jesus is my Savior. That's what faith is. It's personal trust in the Lord Jesus to, to save us. This is how the Christian life begins. We rely not on ourselves, but on him alone. Um, faith, of course, is also faith in someone. 
It is faith in Christ. It's not sort of a generalized, I believe. It's faith and trust in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, faith is also essential for ministry. Not only the beginning of the Christian life, not only the living of the Christian life. I mean, Phil described in his own experience uh, all kinds of ups and downs. We, we live our lives, and we've sung about this this morning. We live our entire lives by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And let's, this morning, this passage brings the question or the issue of faith in ministry. The only way to have effective ministry is through complete Reliance on God, not on ourselves. That is, we minister effectively by faith. Uh, Therefore, it is important for us to be strong in faith and to grow in faith. And I I think this passage uh, helps us to think about faith and our ministry uh, as as an action of resting ourselves in God's power. In this passage, Jesus and Peter, James and John come down from the mountain. The mountaintop experience, glorious, wonderful, amazing, miraculous. They saw the glory of the Lord on the mountain. And now they come down from the mountain and immediately uh, they're enmeshed in the nitty-gritty of life and trouble and ministry problem. There is a child in anguish. A a child who is suffering and a father who's deeply troubled over his son. A lot of us know uh, about children and parents and and the anguish and all of the love uh, parents feel for their their children. Well, this father has a child who's who's in suffering. And then there is also ministry failure, the... the, the, uh, the apostles or the disciples have failed in, in helping this child and this man. And then there's an argument going on as well. That is, the scribes are arguing with the disciples. Did you notice that? In 914, uh, the teachers of the law were arguing with them. They were probably criticizing them. Your failure. You know, uh, Graham Swift uh, wrote the words... Um, you know, uh, to, there's always someone to criticize, even if uh, uh, it, it's easy to criticize the failure of others and to do nothing ourselves, he wrote. Uh, and there's it's always the critic, critic then and critic uh, as well today. This afflicted boy was suffering terribly. Epileptic seizures, um, He could not speak. He could not hear. uh, Sometimes thrown into the fire or thrown into the water. And these symptoms were caused by demonic attack. This certainly gives us insight into Satan's goal for us. He wants to destroy, to swallow up and destroy human beings. And this boy, this probably a young man, it's described as he suffered this way from childhood. This suggests that he's no longer a child and still suffering. One of the things that we should recognize is that Satan is out to attack us as well and we should, we should resist him in every way. That is, we should um, 
never show interest in anything that might yield our will or open our, our will or ourselves to his influence or his impact. You know, in other words, don't show interest in uh, palm reading or fortune telling or Ouija boards or uh, astrology, any of these things. Stay completely clear of anything that might in any way open ourselves up to satanic attack or influence. The Bible says, submit yourselves to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. This young man is being devoured by the enemy. And the father has brought him to Jesus. Well, Jesus was up on the mountain and the disciples have failed to deliver the boy from Satan's grip. And keep in mind that in previous chapters we've already learned that the disciples had been given authority to heal disease and to deliver people from demonic attack. And they had also experienced success in that. And here, now in chapter 9, we see them failing. And we ask, why did they fail? And the text tells us why. When Jesus comes down and asks what they're arguing about, and the boy says, I mean, the father says, uh, your disciples could not drive him out. Jesus immediately laments their unbelief. Verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long, you can sense his frustration, how long shall I put up with you? How long shall I stay with you? Bring the boy to me, that's verse 19. We learn here that if faith pleases God, unbelief displeases him, disappoints him. This probably, this probably also means that, means that they were relying, relying on themselves. They, 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 they failed, failed and they, they were probably relying on themselves. They probably thought, we've got, we got this. Uh, you know, we've got this. Well, we've got, we've got this. And, and so, so they were not trusting in God's power and they failed. The other reason indicated in the passage is that they had failed to pray. Verse 29, this kind comes out only by prayer. Now, interestingly, since Jesus himself did not pray as he commanded the demon to release, to come out and to release the boy, maybe it means that uh, the prayer that Jesus has in mind is a life of prayer and a life of dependence on God for effective ministry. Jesus was always in communion with the Father and perhaps that's what he means as he says he requires prayer uh, for success in ministry. It's interesting to note the rise and the fall of the father's faith as well. That is, the father comes and he, it says in verse 17, um, I, brought my, I brought you my son, verse 17, with every expectation that Jesus could help. But because of the failure of the disciples, as the, as the text goes on, it says he's expressing doubt. He says, if you can help us, have mercy, have compassion, and please help us. So his, his faith is 
faltering because of the, the failure of the disciples. That really is a warning to me and to us, I think. We, I mean, when people come to us for help, we don't want to fail. We don't want to in any way take away from their trust and their expectation, their faith in God because of our behavior or because of our lack of trust. This man is no longer so sure. He says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Well, Jesus heals the boy. He delivers him from Satan. The boy was whole. Matter of fact, it was so traumatic, they thought he was dead. It says the spirit came out with a shriek. By the way, the word translated shriek in verse 26 and the word translated exclaimed in verse 24 when the father exclaimed. It's the exact same word. I think, I think the, the father cried out in verse 24. Um, notice, please, that Jesus used no incantations, no formulas, no special words, no techniques. Sometimes you read um, spiritual warfare literature and they want to give you the technique or the incantation or the words and the Lord Jesus depends on no such thing. This passage shows us that lack of faith brings ministry failure. I want to focus on the converse. That is, trust in God results in effective ministry. If lack of faith brings ministry failure, trust in God results in effective ministry. There are important lessons in this passage for us. And and our ministry... It's important, first of all, to emphasize that it is Jesus who does the work. That is, the man brought his son to Jesus. That's the meaning of verse 17. I brought you my son. And so we always must remember that it is Jesus who is the Savior. It is he who will help those who come to us, not we who can help them. They failed because of lack of faith and failure to pray. So how can we have faith for effective ministry? I want to suggest four things that I think are essential. First of all, we must recognize our own powerlessness. When we think, I got this, I can handle this, it's no big deal. Then we're relying on ourselves and we're guaranteeing failure. We must remember our own powerlessness. What did the Lord say? He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bring forth much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to allow those words to burn into our hearts. We are completely dependent on him. You remember that in March of 2019, as I came here for the first time and preached, and then we had lunch together back in the day when people had lunch together. And then we came back in the sanctuary for a question and answer time. And um, 
you know, your questions. I mean, these, these things are always difficult. You're trying to get to know this bloke who's just shown up trying to ask questions. And you tried to ask questions that gave you insight into me and my ministry. And, uh, but many of the questions were focused on what I was going to do and how I was going to bring unity and how I was going to advance the mission of the church and how I was going to do this. And I kept saying, I'm not going to do it. That might have been frustrating. But I kept saying, only God can do that. Only God can bring us together. Only God can make us one. Only God can advance the ministry. And that's what Jesus is reflecting in John 15 when he says, without me you can do nothing. We must recognize our own powerlessness and our complete dependence on God. Secondly, we must remember experiences with God in ministry. That is, we we must remember, we must look back and remember times when God did wonderful, miraculous things through us in spite of our our weakness and our inability. I could tell many stories along this line to illustrate. I'm going to tell you a couple. When I graduated from seminary, the first church I served was in Wellsbridge, New York, a tiny community in upstate New York, and a tiny church, 45 in attendance on Sunday morning as we arrived there. And um, I, did, I didn't really do anything there except preach the word and love the people. And we also sought to reach out to those outside in our community. I remember going door to door in our community, introducing myself and uh, inviting people to church. And people were friendly and uh, interested to meet me and so on and so forth. But when I was going through a mobile home park door to door and came to one door, John said, come on in. John was interested. He was fascinated with this guy who had shown up at his door and we, we sat down and we talked. We talked for a long time that first time. I don't know how long exactly. But I explained the good news and John had a lot of questions. We talked and... Um, I, I gave, I had a Gospel of John. I gave the Gospel of John to him and I said, read this. And as best you can, completely honestly, before you read, pray and just say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me as I, as I read this account of Jesus. Well, anyway, John was reading the Gospel. Barbara and I were praying, praying for John and for the Lord's work in his life. And uh, I wish I could say I led him to the Lord, but I didn't. God did. You know, John asked God for a sign. Now, you shouldn't do that, but John didn't know that. He asked God for a sign, and God was kind enough to reach down and give him that sign. And it was God who moved John from unbelief to faith. One of the... uh, One of the happiest uh, highlights of my ministry there at Wellsbridge was standing in the baptistry with John and Marilyn and baptizing them together, baptizing first her and then John. uh, Because the Lord, the Lord led John to himself. I remember raising support in order to go to Europe. We had a all of these 
funds that we had to raise before we could go. Not only monthly support, but also um, outgoing expenses, which were quite high. Uh, They required us to be able to buy a car when we got there, and I had to raise the money for that. Well, I I just said, I'm no fundraiser. (laughs) I said, the only way I'm going to get to Europe, or we're going to go to Europe, is if God sends us. And he did. He, he did that. It's amazing to raise support and to see miracles happen. To see support come from places you would never expect it to come from. Uh, I'll just tell you one story. One guy in Pennsylvania knew about our ministry, knew about we were raising support, we needed support. He was going deer hunting and he said, God, if you give me a deer and if you give me, I'll give, you, I'll give them $5 a month for every point on the deer. The guy shot an eight-pointer and we got $40 a month. (laughs) God does miracles. I mean, the Lord did it. The only way we went to Europe was because God sent us. And and, you you look back at those experiences and you see that God has done, God has worked and he will work again. He'll use us. He will do the work. He will enable us. He will use us to do his work. Many times, anyone who's preached as long as I have, you sometimes go home and you feel, oh boy, that message didn't come together very well. But then you hear someone say, thank you, the Lord really used what you said to touch me. And you see, the Lord, the Lord did that. The Spirit of God did that. I, I did not. So as God has worked through me in the past, he will use me now. It is his work And he is faithful. So remember experiences with God in ministry. Third, trust in God's promises. Trust in God's promises. These are appearing up here. Yes, they are. Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Those are the words of Christ. You can trust in that promise and walk into difficult situations. I will be with you to the end of the age. I've quoted that text to myself in some difficult situations. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You think about, you think about someone like Moses. God speaks from the burning bush and says to Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and call my people out. Moses is being given an absolute impossible task. But God says, I will be with you. Moses was sure that God had had called the wrong file out of the drawer. He was sure that he was not the man. But God said, I will be with you. And God, you, God brought the people of Israel, of course, out of Egypt. Or think of Joshua standing on the eastern side of the, of the Jordan River, and he is commanded to lead this nation, these people, across the river and to possess the promised land. They have enormous barri- barriers to overcome. And God says to Joshua, be courageous, be strong and courageous. I will be with you wherever you go. Remember the promises of God. They enable us to be faithful, to be obedient, to do what he requires even though we're terrified. 
to witness, to open our mouth and to bear witness to Jesus even though we are sure we cannot. He, he gives us strength. I find that the words of this man interesting. He says, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Sometimes we're there, aren't we? Um, faith and doubt are in tension. I don't believe that doubt is the opposite of faith. I believe that the opposite of faith is unbelief. Faith and doubt are sometimes in tension. Our faith is sometimes stretched and in tension. And God, notice that even though this man says, I believe, help me Help me with my unbelief. And by the way, the text indicates he cried this out. He cried out, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Sometimes we're right there. Notice that the Lord answered that prayer. He healed the boy. And he helped this man believe. And he helps us to believe. He enables us to believe. The Spirit of God enables us to believe, he grows our faith, he enables us to persevere in faith. So, trust in God's promise. One more. Rely on God's power. Fill your heart and your mind with God. Effective kingdom ministry is possible only through complete dependence on God. You know, put yourself in Moses' and Aaron's position. Moses and Aaron, Moses has a staff. He's got a stick in his hand, a staff. Moses and Aaron walk into the courtyard of the most powerful man on the planet. They can be thinking about Pharaoh's great pomp and power, or they can remember that the creator of the universe is with them. And before the creator of the universe, this man with all of his gold and power and all of his attendants is a grasshopper. And the same with Joshua. Joshua facing swords and spears and shields and horses and chariots, but if he realizes that the creator of the universe is with him, all of those barriers shrink to little or nothing. The more we fill our minds and our hearts with our God and his greatness, his awesome power, our faith is strengthened and grows. In chapter 10, we'll read the words that Jesus will say, with God, all things are possible. And they are. I read a little book entitled uh, The Art of Pastoring by an author by the name of David Hansen. Hansen, I think he was pastoring a small church in Montana. He writes of the difficulties of pastoral ministry, you know, the misunderstandings that occur, you know, the criticisms that sometimes come from people. He writes of the privilege of ministry, of standing between heaven and hell with human beings of the pain of standing between heaven and hell with human beings. And 
in all the struggles and drift, he would describe going out to visit an old farmer and then he would say after the discussion and after the effort and after the, uh, after the ministry, he said, I, I have to go back in my study and read a little theology. You, that, you see that again and again throughout the book. I have to go back and read a little theology. And that's a way of saying I have to keep my heart focused on God. He is the one who does the ministry and he is the one who makes it reality. And all of this we express through prayer. We bring ourselves to God in prayer and he will, he will use us Obedient trust is God is the only way to effective ministry. D.L. Moody spoke about three kinds of faith. He says there's struggling faith, like, the, like a man in the water struggling to stay afloat. You know, he's in the water, in the deep water, and he's struggling to stay afloat. Or there's clinging faith, like the man who's holding on to the side of the boat. Or there's resting faith, like the person who's in the boat and able to help others to climb in the boat too. Well, let's be people of such resting faith, but yet obedient and risky faith. Always remember that, always remember that it is not a matter of the greatness of our faith. It is always a matter of the greatness of our God, our Savior, and we keep our focus there. And he will use us and he will accomplish his purpose in this church and in our lives and in our ministry. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we admit that there are times when these words are our words. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We admit that. We pray that you would strengthen our faith. We pray that you would enable us, Lord, to keep our hearts fixed on you and therefore to have faith that is unwavering because you are, because you are powerful, because you are good, because you love us. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us and thank you for the good news that brings us to you. Lord, use us to bring that good news to others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.